I'm back in Alexandria and back in action, and you're in the right place because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Friday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer here with David Hansen back in the studio, and I apologize if I seem a little out of it. I just got off red eye coming back from Las Vegas, coming back from the Transact 14 conference. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that if I can. You keep sound my, tired. If I, if I can keep my head together, we'll talk. We'll talk about that. But first, we've got to mention the big banks. We've got to mention J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. Both reported earnings this morning. Yes. What's your takeaway, David? What's going on there? Uh, just Wells the, Fargo up a bit. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Wells Fargo up a bit. J.P. JP Morgan, Morgan down. Down. Kind of a lot. Haven't digested it fully. Just took a quick look, and I guess I will be. I'll be out next week. But you and whoever else you have on this wonderful program. Oh, I got. I got some tricks up my sleeve. Can digest the results a little bit uh, more than I will now. Uh, the initial reaction to J.P. Morgan's was was not good. I mean, not my reaction, but the market's reaction. It was down 5% uh, pre-market. I took a th- look at the results and wouldn't say they were bad. They were just largely uninspiring. Uh, the fee businesses, not great. A lot of them down. Mortgage banking, we knew that was going to be down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market's business, down. But even just their card business, Kind of uninspiring. The asset management business looked good. We've seen that across the board. That's not unique to J.P. Morgan here. Provisions higher than they were a year ago, so going in the other yeah. direction now, yeah. which didn't help results there. So it wasn't so much bad, just uninspiring. But on the whole, still a 13% return on tangible equity. Oh, I was going to ask if you if you had if you seen that. So 13% on tangible. I'm fine with that. You're the not banks, getting that from a lot of from from the big banks in particular. And the stock is now trading at. 1.3 times tangible book. So I, I think that's still a, a fair trade, and I'm a happy shareholder today, despite these bad results, as some people are calling them. How about Wells Fargo? Other, I guess you could say other side of the coin. It's not up a ton, but the market's down today, and mm-hmm. so it's bucking the overall trend. Wells Fargo set the record again, I think, for quarterly profits here, largely driven by provisions going down. So a little bit of a different story there mm-hmm. uh, than J.P. Morgan. And the main reason is Wells Fargo is just more of a lender than J.P. Morgan is. More of their balance sheet right. uh, is invested in loans. So they're seeing a boost there. Net interest margin down, but not not huge. Uh, kind of staying flat-ish there. Uh, the trust business at Wells Fargo, the fee business there, continues to look strong. So kind of just a yeah, looks good. They're making loans. Credit quality is improving there. Um, so maybe a little bit more inspiring than J.P. Morgan, but not, not nothing unbelievable. Okay. Well, we're going to get into the transact stuff now, but but a little bit of a spoiler. I'm going to bring up J.P. Morgan a few times in what I have to say. Okay. Because there's some interesting stuff going on there. Chase Payment Tech, uh, which is uh, J.P. Morgan's arm that, that does processing, that does merchant acquiring. So you've got the, the two sides of that coin there in the, in the business. Uh, one of the largest players, and okay, I won't, I won't reveal any more about that now, but we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so you were at the conference, was it three days? It was three days. Exhausting? It was. Invigorating? It was. It was inspiring? It was exhausting. Uh, it, was, it was inspiring. Uh, it was very interesting, very educational. Uh, I was there with Patrick Morris. We learned a ton, um, and uh, and glad we were there. The first thing I wanted to ask you about it was uh, we've talked about payments a little bit on the show. Uh, we have some opinions on Bitcoin, opinions on credit cards, and everything. Is there anything that you saw that changed an opinion 
that you had on payments or kind of just the whole space? Was there something you saw that says, man, I was wrong about that. I now think about it this way. Well, since, since you mentioned Bitcoin, one thing that I'll, that I'll say uh, at the outset is that there are not a lot of people. I, I didn't go. There was a Bitcoin specific session that I wasn't able to go to. But of the big players in the industry, not. I shouldn't say not many. I have none. None of them seem to be particularly excited or particularly bullish about the future of, of Bitcoin. Not necessarily um, alternative currencies or digital or, or digital exchange ways of exchange in general, but Bitcoin specifically. In terms of having an opinion change, I wouldn't say that as much as I think it was an, an amplification and a. Uh, a reiteration of the importance of everything in between in the payment space. And, and what I mean by that is on the one end, as a consumer, you swipe your card, right? And on the other end, you have a bank that issued that card to you and that sends you a bill at the end of the month. So you've got that two ends here. Yep. All of the stuff that happens in the middle here, really, really important. And, and, and I think in a sense we know that, but getting to, getting to see and hear from a lot of the companies that are making that happen in between the swipe and the bill that you see, um, I, I think is really important. And so that was that was really good. To see it's just honest. a very unsexy thing. I mean, we don't talk about it because we don't really need to talk about it as consumers. We swipe right. our card, we get our bill. Why do we need to know anything else? I don't care how the sausage is made. I just, you don't need <laughs> well, the vegan sausage, the, the, the veggie sausage for you. I, I do care how the sausage is made because <laughs> if there's meat in it, I'm not going to eat it. But um, it, in, it, it hasn't been historically but I think that that's changing from the perspective that we're seeing, I mean, mobile, mobile, mobile. That was, that was one of the huge themes at the conference here. So as the industry shifts more and more to this, uh, to this theme of mobile payments, that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's going to create some big winners and losers in the payments industry. What was the coolest thing you saw? Whether it's kind of practical or not, but the one thing you saw, you were like, dude, I need to have that. I'm going to give you three. Okay. I'm going to give Even you better. three. The first one I actually have right here, this is called, this is Loop. Okay. I can hold it up there, get a little look at that. Uh, we actually got a chance to, Patrick and I, interview the CEO and co-founder of Loop, uh, Will Graylin. Okay. And uh, so what you do, you got, you got this little... You got this little thing here. Is it a, get a dongle, it. if you will? <laughs> I think it is technically a dongle. I'm not, not a big fan of that word. You pl- <laughs> plug this into your iPhone or Android device. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have the Android app yet, but that's coming. And you've got like a little swipe over here. And you're, you swipe all of your cards in there, your credit cards, your loyalty cards, your IDs, gets it onto that app. Mm-hmm. And then you can use this. What's, what's cool about this is that you don't need... The, the, the merchant doesn't need a different system than already exists. Same so, little terminal they got. Exactly. Same terminal. You take this, you put that where you would otherwise be swiping your card, and this emulates that magnetic You just strip. touch it against it. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, in theory, you use this, you load everything on it, you leave your wallet at home. Gotcha. So, I thought this was pretty cool, and you were saying to me before the show that you were going to look up for when you when you mentioned this on the I've show before, about it. and I was uninspired by it. So, um, if that's the case, then then I just got to say maybe maybe you didn't pitch it as well okay. as as uh, as Will Will Grayland did, the CEO of Loop. The second thing that I'll say 
this isn't a specific thing. It was more of a general theme, but it's the, it was the solutions theme uh, at the conference. When, when we think about those terminals, those terminals talk about unsexy, right? Um, these are the swipe terminals that, that we see when we check out. Uh, these are made the two biggest players in, in that space, Ingenico and Verifone, both publicly traded, Ingenico overseas, so a little bit harder to buy. But still, you can buy that as a public company. The talk is about the payments, that, that kind of payment um, business being more than just uh, processing a transaction. So that's ta- they're, they're calling that table stakes now. So if you if you can get you know transfer the money between from one party to another, that's table stakes. You got to be able to do that, and you got to be able to do that securely. But now it's about what kind of solution can you offer to the merchant? What kind of um, tablet optimized apps can you give them that they can manage their business? How can you help them grow their business by using the data that you're capturing? So when you swipe, you get the payment information, but you also get information about the person. How can you connect that up? How can you, as, how can you give the merchant an opportunity to build their relationship with that customer? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's really cool. Uh, there, will be some, there will be some privacy issues to address there, obviously. Um, there are obviously some technology issues to, to address, like what's going to work the best. And then there's also just an adoption issue. How do you get the merchants uh, to start using this? Right. Um, but that I thought was really cool. And I, and I think that could really change commerce. Um, we see that kind of stuff online. It's e- I think it's easier online, but there will be s- some big opportunities for the brick-and-mortar uh, commerce. So you're talking about the, the physical terminals here, not necessarily the infrastructure that goes through processing them. Uh, so for the Ingenicos, Verifones, is the threat, the squares of the world, the PayPal, I forget what they, PayPal Now, mm. the thing that you lo- or can snap onto your tablet, uh, Amazon talking about getting into this area. One of their big things would be, yeah, we can give you data and information on the customer. So, is are those competitors a threat to these terminal kind of players? Well, sure, in a sense, mm-hmm. the, the the PayPal device actually is a is a, is a white label device okay. of, of technology, and I believe that is from Ingenico, if okay. I remember correctly. I'm, Again, I'm a little fried here, but that, that is, that's white label, so they're working with a hardware provider to do that. That's not like PayPal didn't build that. Gotcha. Um, I think partially it's competition, but I think it's also just the, the technology moving forward gives all of these companies an opportunity to further differentiate themselves. Because when all you're doing is saying, this allows you to process a transaction, that was great. 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, if you could give somebody the opportunity to accept a credit card, a merchant to accept a credit card, that was really great because it was, we were moving in the direction of where we are today where you basically have to accept credit cards. Mm-hmm. But now we're sort of there. Everybody's got that. You, you, you can get that easily. So now it's how do these companies differentiate right. themselves in what they're selling? Right. How many times has this card been swiped? How much are they spending on it? Can we give them targeted offers? What are they spending on, on it? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And who, who is this person? And then the, the third, the third cool thing that I saw that, that I'll give to you. This is kind of under the random bucket, and it was a company called Socure. And we actually only ended up seeing the company because their booth was next to Loops. Mm-hmm. So as we were filming the interview, I'm, I'm staring at this, and I'm seeing social solution for security. Right? I, I forget what the what the tagline was, but essentially what they're doing is they're using social networks as sort of a, a biometric reader. Um, I forget, they, they have a specific trademarked term that they use. Uh, but what they've done is, is they, 
it's a um, algorithm for reading activity on social networks to be able to verify an identity, hmm. which is really cool. So you, you have you go into an auto dealership and you've got this paper form that you fill out all of your information, right? So if somebody steals that information, that's pretty easy to spoof. Like, okay, so you get some other person with your information gets this form and fills it out. Right. So it's this next level of being able to go into this rich environment of social information. And it's not just, is the social network there? Does it say Matt Copenheffer? Mm -hmm. But is it active? Is it real? What are the kind of interactions that are happening on that social page? Do those look real? Mm -hmm. Are they the kinds of interactions that you typically see with coworkers, with loved ones, with friends and family, that kind of thing? So it, it seems like it's in a pretty early stage at this point. But it's the kind of way that I think that um, information on Twitter, on Facebook, can be used for other purposes. Right. Now, again, as I said before, with the, with the uh, solutions issue, there's some privacy. privacy. Yeah, there's some privacy things mm-hmm. that you've got to get comfortable with here. Um, but I think this is a really cool use of social network information. Yeah, definitely. And we, we don't, we're not experts on Facebook and Twitter here in their business model, but it does show that they have opportunities to leverage the data they have mm-hmm. in these other non-traditional ways. Uh, was there anything that you thought was going to be a big theme and nobody really talked about it? Whether it be, I don't know if they talked about the security breach at, at Target, Bitcoin, is there anything that you're like, man, this is going to be front and center, but then it just wasn't? Uh, no, and, and maybe that's, I, I mean, we haven't been talking about, we haven't been looking at the payments industry super closely, so maybe it's partly that. But all of the big issues that I expected to hear about, we did. Um, mobile payments, like I said, was a big theme. You just mentioned security, so, so I'll take a second on that. We did hear a ton about security, a lot about the target breach, a lot about the EMV transition. Mm-hmm. So EMV, Europay, MasterCard, Visa, that, that's where you get that little chip on your card, which I think you actually have. Was Patrick saying you I have? I do have it, yeah. Okay. So I'm high class. You are, apparently. International traveler. October of next year, there's going to be this transition. There. It's the liability transition. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens at that point is that whenever there's fraud in, in the chain of, of where that fraud occurred, whoever has the least technology, that's who's liable. Mm. So if a merchant has a swipe but no EMV card reader and you've got a card with an EMV chip on it. Bank's not fault. It's not their fault. The merchant is, yeah. right. On the other hand, if the merchant has an EMV card reader and the bank hasn't given you a card with an EMV chip, back to the bank. Mm. So this is, this is going to set up... What uh, happens uh, if they have a card reader and the bank gave it to you? Well, maybe Friends somebody in the middle. Possible. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of talk about the security issue, a lot of talk about um, the, the, new, the new things like EMV, tokenization, which are, which are coming into effect or hoping to come into effect. Uh, one of the really interesting things around the target breach is that I heard on multiple occasions people saying, uh, it is so much easier for us. This is obviously on the security side. It is so much easier for us now to have conversations with customers after Target. Because so it's kind they, of a nice thing for some people. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Target. It's unfortunate for all of the customers affected at Target. But for these companies that are, that are trying to make the case of here's why security is important, now they, they have something to point to and say, here's why you got to take this seriously. Of course, the funny thing is, is EMV, for instance, probably 
it's a little bit of a gray area, but really not uh, the main issue at the target breach. Interesting. Um, so when you talk about the world of payments, you said we, we don't talk about it too much here on the show, but when we do, we usually talk about Visa, MasterCard, mm-hmm. of all of our viewers, listeners, those are probably the most likely stocks in their portfolio that fit into the payments space here. Did you leave more bullish, less bullish, bearish even, on these companies? Uh, so basically my question would be, you guys talked about union pay mm-hmm. on the last podcast that you did from, uh, from Vegas yep. and how they're actually making good inroads in China in a competitive market in Hong Kong despite mm-hmm. some uh, Visa MasterCard being there. So does that threat outweigh kind of just the global opportunity for Visa and MasterCard or kind of where do you stand at, on their competitive stance now? At this point in time... I don't. Th- I wouldn't say that Union Pay is is a big threat to Visa and Mastercard. I, I would say, if anything, Visa and Mastercard are a little bit more of a threat to Union Pay mm-hmm. because Visa and Mastercard are just going to be able to start making inroads into the China market. Um, so there may be a threat there. There's a little bit of uh, uh, two sides of the coin uh, on Visa Mastercard after being at this conference. So on, on the one side, you you got the sense of just the dominance and the importance of the, of these networks and how it's hard to get around using them. And so that would, that would um, bolster... It's understandable why they have such high margins. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're there, they're the brand, and you can't really get around it. On the other hand, there was, this was actually... I, I didn't know about this. This was a deal that J.P. Morgan... mentioned this at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. That J.P. Morgan cut with Visa last year. And it's basically J.P. Morgan leasing... Uh, for, for lack of a better way to put it, leasing Visa's network so that they can set the terms on how they're working with, with uh, uh, card users and merchants. Interesting. So instead of doing, you know, we pay you based on volume, based on individual... Using the standard Visa terms. Right. It's, we'll pay you X, we get your network, we do whatever we want with it. And J.P. Morgan can do that because they are such a huge player on the merchant acquiring side with Chase Payment Tech and the processing side... And on the issuing side, I believe largest issuer of Visa and MasterCard. Is it both Visa and MasterCard? I think so. I'm pretty sure it's at least Visa. Um, so that's – it's too early to tell what that, what that deal is going to do and whether there will be more deals like that. But if large players in the industry can leverage Visa's network like that, I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that kind of – takes Visa down a notch in terms of its importance. Because basically, in my mind, this could be J.P. Morgan flexing its power of how many customers it has. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a little bit... I, I think... I, I don't have the numbers written down, but I think J.P. Morgan is, is Visa's biggest client mm-hmm. on that side as well, but I don't think they account for more than 10% of revenue or anything. So they're not... Huge. Right. They're big, but not enormous. But of course, it's not just about J.P. Morgan. It's yeah, does Wells Fargo come and do this? Does U.S. Bancorp? Because U.S. U.S. Bancorp, big issuer, but also has Elevon, which is a huge processor and merchant acquirer as well. So you've got these other big bank players that have um, these sort of giant internal networks, these matching networks, um, that can potentially flex their uh, their purchasing power, their their customer power over Visa and MasterCard. So of all the big kind of dominant payment companies, these Visa and MasterCard may be the most concerned? Or is there another company that would you would see all this other stuff going on and be like, eh, a little concerned? 
not concerned, but just I would have my kind of up. <laughs> well, from an investor's perspective, because Visa and MasterCard are so high profile, so highly valued, so high growth, so high margin, I would say that they'd probably be at the top of my list. And so we just talked a little bit about the JP Morgan deal and the potential for you know, a Wells or U.S. Bancorp to do something similar. But then there's also Discover and American Express. And we heard some really interesting stuff from both of them, including the fact that both of those companies have now kind of said, well, we're over this idea of just having our own little internal mm-hmm. thing of, of, acquiring, of acquiring merchants. We want to reach out and leverage our network the same way that Visa and MasterCard uh, do. So Discover, in particular, is really big about partnering right now. So they're partnering with anybody and everybody. PayPal, yep. They're with PayPal. They're with, they have a partnership with UnionPay. Mm-hmm. So if you go over to China, you can use your Discover card anywhere UnionPay yeah, is Patrick accepted, which that. is basically everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And UnionPay Union customers can come here and do the same with the Discover network. Uh, so Discover is doing a lot of partnerships, really leveraging that network. Uh, American Express, kind of the same thing. It used to be we stopped by the American Express booth and we're learning about the OptBlue program that Amex just launched at the end of last year. And it used to be that American Express with uh, merchant acquirers would set the terms of the contract and say, here's how it's going to be. But now what they're doing is they're allowing uh, merchants with this OptBlue program to, uh, to to leverage the the American Express network without having to... Uh, go to American Express and say, okay, we'll take whatever uh, right. terms of the program you're going to give us. Interesting. Um, we've talked about Square possibly going public, mm-hmm. some other upstarts. Mm-hmm. Are you more interested in those now? or Because my opinion with Square has always been cool idea. Uh, it's the most convenient option for kind of someone who just wants to accept payments quickly. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've always thought five years out, this seems like a race to the bottom in terms of pricing here because it's kind of a commodity good. Slap something, I mean, you look at the loop that you have there. It's pretty easy to make those kind of things, slap them onto a tablet and start swiping credit cards. So are you, am I missing something here or is this a business that seems like it's going to find the lowest cost option here? Oh, well, it goes back to that solution uh, issue. Right. If the company that can offer the best overall solution to its customers, I think that's who's going to win. Uh, with Square, it seems like there is a suite around just the, the, the swipe thing that you plug into your tablet or whatever. Um, and it's going to depend on how robust they can make that um, because there will be more options, and there are already options that are very similar to Square. And again, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is, that this is in Genico, uh, and, I, and I, sorry if I get, get this wrong, but Rome uh, is, is a, there's a solution called Rome that's very similar to what Square does. You can just plug it into a tablet and there you go, you can swipe. Um, I'd be interested to see under the hood of Square if it ever filed to go public. We'd get that SEC filing, we get to see under the hood. I'd like to see that to, to make a, a true judgment but it's a little bit less interesting because mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of other solutions out there, and um, and I don't think that Square's business is something that that can't be replicated or disrupted. Right. Well, that's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I wanted to know. Do you have? We don't have any tweets, but do you have anything just in life that you want to say? Yeah, I want I want to go to the to, to the Motley nap room and take a nap right now. There wasn't. There's an IPO today. Zoe's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. You ever been there? No. It's good. 
They where, have a lot of vegetarian options. What, where is this? They they have some locations. They have some There's locations. one like 10 minutes up the road. <laughs> That's a long one. It's way. another one of the, these fast casuals. I'm going, going to public. I'm going to Pot Bellies. You'll like it. It's better than Pot Bellies. It's better than Pot... That's crazy talk. Yeah. I think it was up like 65%, so... Oh. There's well, that. must be a lot better than Pot Bellies. must be better. <laughs> All right, well, that's the show for today, and that is the show for the week. I'm Matt Copenheffer. Right next to me here, David Hansen. We'll see you next week. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.